Hey there, it's episode 8 and you're listening to Room in the Margins here at the end of the earth. Y'all, I hope you're well wherever you're listening from because 2020 just went from bananas to full-on apocalypse out here. The sky is orange from the wildfires, the air quality is trash, we are still in a pandemic and no one is wearing pants. Put on anything you want. If we're gonna go out there, we're gonna go out there comfortable. Some of us. So I've been shifting rather reluctantly over to indoor cat mode until we can see the light of day. Okay, okay, that's the last Sister Act reference, I promise. But before I lose all faith, I thought I should talk to someone about when we can expect the frogs to rain down, the boils, hail, locusts, and maybe see whether murder hornets qualify as livestock pestilence. But the closest I came to the clergy was my friend John Thornton, who is a former pastor. Jesus is a biscuit, won't let him sop you up. And in this episode, John and I talk about growing up in the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, teaching economics in Micronesia in your 20s, and finding your own path through religion and faith. Okay, honestly, that's the last one. Please enjoy my chat with John Thornton. What became very clear to me as uh, I read scripture and as I uh, read what, like, actually read what scripture said, is how the whole thing is oriented towards God is on the side of those in the margins. The re- like the way the stories are told is like God continually coming to the aid of those on the margins and building them up. And then what happens is they get that power and they begin to like create other people to be in the margins. And, and so uh, that you don't get that uh, if you look at most of like American Christianity, it's about how to preserve the power of what this waning power of uh, dominant white folks. And it's just, for those that may not have spent any time in scripture and like there's crazy things in there because it was written 4,000 years ago. These are stories that are from a different time in a different place, but the, the grand narrative is very much like God is on the side of the marginalized. And if you have power, you better use it on the side of the marginalized or else you're going to find yourself on the other end of um, God's movements. So my parents were teachers. They were Seventh-day Adventist teachers at a, at a private school here in, um, in Sacramento. And uh, we just like basically grew up uh, on, on the campus, like always running around. My dad did the music for one of the bigger churches here in town uh, for a long time as well. So he kind of had, I don't think I ever realized until I was like, in my thirties that, Oh, he had two jobs, like his whole life. Like we, Cause it was just something we all just did, you know? And I, and my mom basically did the job with him. Um, but he did, yeah, he was a, the, did the choirs and the music and stuff for, for this church. And then he was a, uh, been a choir teacher at the school and my mom was a fifth grade teacher. And so like religion was always around. I wasn't necessarily, um, like, I didn't necessarily have a bad religious experience. I mean, the churches I went to were, were pretty warm. Um, but I also like, uh, I think needed some healthy rebellion away from all of that. So I didn't really necessarily like embrace any of it or, uh, or any of that. Like we, uh, in, in the tradition they have, um, like they, they baptize, uh, old, they don't baptize as kid as, ch- as like infants, they baptize as someone like kind of comes of age or whatever, which, you know, kind of funny is like 13 for most, which I mean, 
Like, what do you know when you're 13? Absolutely nothing. Um, Everything, I'm 40 actually. I don't, I don't, Everything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm 40. I don't feel like I know anything now. So I would take the classes like that. And so like a local pastor would come in and do these like baptismal classes with you. I guess you're supposed to like learn some stuff, agree to it. And then you're like ready to get dunked or whatever. Um, and uh, I would take the classes like every time they were offered, but it was mostly just to get out of math class. And, and then I would never, then I would never like actually do the baptism stuff. And my parents were great. Like they never pressured me. They never pushed me. They never did. They, they were totally fine. Um, I didn't grow up in a house, like feeling that like God was this like terrible thing, but I also wasn't like incredibly interested. Um, so yeah, I went to, um, I went to, co- when I went to college, I went to an Adventist college called Pacific Union College in the Napa Valley. And, uh, I thought I wanted to be a dentist. Because uh, someone had told me that like dentists work four days a week and have like uh, and can own boats, and so I was like, dude, every Friday I could be on the lake, uh, which is like nothing I ever got to do as a kid. Like we didn't have boat money, like we didn't know any people, we didn't really know people with boats. But I got in my head that that would be cool, like you'd made it if you had a boat, and and then working like four days sounded great. And like all while I was switching all this stuff, I kind of stopped going to classes, and uh, <laughs> so I basically failed out of college uh, my first year and uh, didn't really tell my parents what was happening either so when I came home for the summer and they like my grades showed up they were like what in the world is happening and I told them, like I don't want to go back to school I don't know what to do with my life like I was just kind of you know depressed kid moving from uh you know a small school where I knew everyone to like a, a small college but it was still like you know 10 times the size of anything I had experienced before and I just didn't know she wasn't ready for for college really I think so I, I uh, got a job at a coffee shop and uh and went to community college try to make up some credits and um about halfway through the year so the my college offered this like student missions program where you could go like overseas all over anywhere in the world really and uh and work for a year and like a lot of people what they would do is they'd go teach in the in micronesia which are these islands in the south pacific so i uh i was like i can't I wasn't doing well at school, even at, at community college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was starting to think more, pray more about God. And, and uh, so I, I decided I would take a year and go do that. So I, I went to Micronesia, to the island of Wena, in the state of Chuk, in the Federated States of Micronesia. All that's to say is it's a really small place. And uh, I taught uh, history. And so I'm, I'm 20, and I'm teaching high school history, U.S. history. With the same textbook I had uh, like three years earlier in high school, and I was teaching economics, which I still know nothing about, uh, pre-algebra for a while, the freshman, and so I would like have to learn the lesson beforehand uh, before I could teach it to them, and uh, and then like world history, I, I just had no idea what I was doing, and it was thirteen of us, all college age kids, uh, teaching at this K through twelve uh, private school in Chuuk, and you know kids live on. $3. Some of the kids live on $3 a day. Other kids were like the, um, the children of like the governor. Um, and they would send them to our school because uh, we, just, we taught in English because none of us, <laughs> that's all we knew was English. And English was the, the pathway off the island. Uh, I lived on like peanut butter and jelly pa- butter sandwiches for like 10 months. I lost like 40 pounds. I came back, I was like 122 pounds. Uh, I didn't shave my beard or cut my hair. So my hair was like, 10 inches long just this giant puff and while I was there like I you know what do you do there's no there's no television there's nothing to do and so I for the first time like read the bible by myself like for myself and and started to really 
um, resonate with uh, with what Jesus was was teaching and, and talking about. And uh, so I when I by the time I came back, I was like, this is I want to help. Like I want to help and I want to help because that seems to be the way that Jesus is telling folks to live is helping. And uh, so I didn't, you know, the first thought of course is teaching because everyone in my family is a teacher, but I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. And in like our tradition, like you're either like a teacher, a doctor or a pastor. And uh, you know, like the idea of like working for a nonprofit or like, you know, that just isn't on the radar anywhere because there's really no space for it. Okay. So doctor and teacher were out. And so that left, pastor i was young you know i was young i had some energy i wasn't afraid to necessarily stand up in front and like speak to people and like kids and and so i um and i could tell stories like my family just sits around and tells stories all the time so i could tell stories and uh and i just resonated pretty well with kids and then like older people liked me because i was always positive and i wasn't uh yeah and i looked different like i had really big hair and like a goatee uh, and, and like, I didn't talk, you know, I just didn't look like your typical theology majors. So the old folks like me too, even though I didn't agree with anything they were saying, they couldn't figure that out. And they, I was the only person in my uh, graduating class to get hired to be a pastor out of the school. And they sent me back to, uh, the seminary, the Adventist seminary in Michigan. I did that for uh, seminary for two years. And then the college Pacific Union college needed a pastor. And so they called, they called me to go back there before I finished. I did that for four years there. I'm less familiar with Seventh uh, Seventh Day Adventists, so yeah, I don't mind. Like, let's back up and like, what, sure. What, what, when you talk about our tradition, so there's all these groups like just like rolling out of, um, uh, like leaving the main like established churches to be like, no, 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 I've got the word of the Lord. Like this is no, no. and then another group, no, this is through, and you know, and and so Seventh Day Adventists were one of them. Uh, they're the, I mean. In practice, most Seventh-day Adventists that you're going to bump into are, uh, you know, mainline evangelical Christians uh, for the most part. The um, the Seventh-day Adventist part, the Seventh-day part is that um, is they worship on on Saturday is the Sabbath, so uh, they don't find uh, any place in like Scripture calling for you know folks to worship on Sunday as opposed to Saturday, and so they still kind of hold to that. So there's like this kind of weird like almost uh legalistic jewish part um about about the sabbath where like so i grew up uh when sundown on on friday night the sabbath began so what that meant practically was the um the television had to be turned off couldn't watch tv on saturday or on sabbath and um we you you're supposed to not be working so uh in more conservative houses like no housework was done so like sat Friday afternoon was like a flurry of housework to get the house ready for the Sabbath, right? My family was not like that. My family was my family was not like that. Uh, and so like, you know, for a lot of folks that I know growing up, like Sabbath was this like real burden to them because it was just a strict day where you basically couldn't have fun. And my family wasn't like, we just weren't like that. But there are folks that like, you can't swim in a pool or you could wade up to your knees, but you can't swim, like that kind of just like stuff, you know? Um, there's, a, you know, with every religion, right? There's uh extreme versions of it and those are usually the versions that end up on television on like your public access channels yeah. with like purple backgrounds and like bad comb overs that's right um, <laughs> those are usually not the mainstream version of of the faith 
we had a similar evolution in terms of like, okay, so the religion is kind of the rules around this, but like, what's my personal connection to it? And I think everyone has their own journey with that. Yeah, I mean, like it was just, it was, um, growing up, it was far more culture than it was like uh, spirituality. It was just like the air we breathed. And um, and it's actually a, a very stable, healthy, for, it's a very stable, and in a lot of ways, if you're mainstream enough, um, it's a healthy culture. I mean, I uh, I think I had one friend growing up from like K-12 who uh, whose family divorced uh, while while growing up, like one. Like it's just everywhere I look, everyone, like all my friends now, their parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversaries. Whether or not those families are like, those are healthy marriages is another question, right? But like, but like the state, like the, that's all to say that there's a lot of stability built in to, to the culture. Um, like I knew of like growing up, there's just a sense of like, something was to happen to my parents, I would have like probably 2000 people here in this region that would uh, take responsibility for taking care of me. And when I went to Micronesia, like I just had like those existential questions of any like 19, 20 year old, like, what are you going to do with your life? What is real? What makes sense? And so I always been told like the Bible would have answers to that. So uh, I started like actually for the first time, it's not like a religion assignment in school, like reading, like, what did Jesus actually say? How did he actually treat people? Um, like they're, you know, so in some, in a lot of Bibles, like the words of Jesus are read. So I was just like, I'm just gonna see what he, I was just reading the red letters. I would just be struck by like, uh, the leper that he meets coming down off the mountain, how the first, like he comes and throws himself at his feet and is like, I'm, uh, you know, you can heal me. And the first thing Jesus does, he doesn't even talk to him. He touches him first, which was like, he had, it's a, in a way, I guess, you know, it's identifying. He identified with him. He, he sided with him because by touching him, he became unclean too. And, and like, just that, that was not, well, I mean, there weren't like a lot of sermons on that <laughs> growing up. And, and so, um, I never really bought it. I never bought into the everyone, like only the small group of people are going to be like going to heaven and all everybody else is going to go to hell. Like when I would listen to like my theology classes, I was like, you seem to be describing like a hell of a lot of good people are going to hell. This seems, uh, this doesn't seem to be a very hopeful message or way to orient your life. And I just never seemed to find that, uh, really be a point of emphasis throughout like the, the bible that i was reading maybe i had the wrong translation i don't know and so i never really took that stuff with me and really paid attention to it i was just like convinced that like god loves folks regardless of uh how messy they might be regardless of how good they might be because uh, good is you know as you older, the older you get you realize how much good is just a relative term that's defined by what a culture thinks is appropriate right and uh so what i remember when i went to seminary i was like oh man all right, like, if anybody's going to convince me of this stuff, it's these, like, it's the finest minds of the faith here at the seminary. Like, they're the ones that are going to, like, they're going to convince me that all this stuff is real. And, uh, I, like, I, I walked away, like, even more so convinced that, like, it's very subjective. Totally. And when you were at seminary, were you, were there others that were kind of, like, openly questioning or as analytical about it as you were or were you kind of oh. on, on your own in that well some of the smartest people i've ever met were were students or like colleagues or like classmates at seminary and i you know debbie and i would play this game every now and then like who's the smartest person you've ever known and often like the person that comes along like for me was uh, a professor like a greek professor who who helped us who, who taught uh like paul's letters 
I studied so hard because he was just brilliant, right? Just so brilliant. Most people that go to the seminary are doing so because they're hopeful to get a job or they have been hired by a group of churches to go there. And, um, and so there's a lot of economic insecurity running through the minds of seminarians. And to question too much or to push too much could be the end of your economic security. And so it was not a particularly um, place. It was not a place that was super open to like challenging like much of the orthodoxy. It would take, it took us like a year to find like some folks that were like, these people I think are safe enough, safe enough for us to go see like an R rated movie. Like literally, like it took like a year to find like that couple. I also didn't realize that, um... Uh, churches would pool money to send people to seminary. So is, is the understanding yeah. then that you, we're going to educate you and then you're going to return as, as our pastor? Yeah. So, so how the Adventist church is kind of uh, set up is there's a world, it's a worldwide church. And so usually what happens is like the conference hires uh, people like young guys coming out of the seminary and they send them to seminary. And so they pay for seminary and then they, you, we, I got a thousand dollars a month for as a stipend to pay to live in seminary. And like, it can be kind of controversial because um, essentially they want everyone to go through the seminary because then there's this sense that they'll get the orthodoxy and they won't like head out into the churches and teach crazy, uh, their definition of crazy. And a couple conferences are a little more progressive. They don't want to, they, they let their people not go to the seminary. Um, but the, but then you have to pay for your own education. So instead of it being getting paid to go, you've got to pay while working and it can be really tough but some folks choose to do it but it's honestly it's the most secure way to secure yourself a uh to secure yourself a job what i realized is that if you get hired by a conference and uh you don't you know overly teach crazy according to them you're separate like you're gonna work for life like as long as you're not gonna go say that like god is a giraffe uh, you're probably going to be just fine. You'll work the rest of your life, whether you're good at it or not. Wow, how's that for job security? And so when does this start to lose its luster for you, John? It's a pretty privileged area. Um, and not that the people who work at the college are, because, you know, but there's, but I mean, there's not a lot of, it's not easy to find like a lot of need. And I was, you know, increasingly unhappy uh, having my whole work uh, rotate around like whether or not the worship service went well and who got pissed off about, uh, you know, what kind of instrument we played. And because um, I'm work, working with high school kids and college kids who like they want, they're like on, like they want life to be meaningful. And I'm like, oh, but we're going to go, I got to go to this meeting. I can't come to your thing because I'm going to go to this meeting where we fight about music again. I just was done with that. And like, it's not a like long-term economic thing for us, we were realizing. And uh, our first, we had our first daughter, our daughter, uh, Eleanor. And we we're just like, this isn't probably the long-term thing. Uh, I was, uh, I don't know, I was, I was questioning a lot. Um, and so I, I wanted to like have, uh, I wanted to lead a, like a congregation that was, that oriented its uh, spiritual life around service to others that, and, and not, uh, not around like a worship service where people would fight, right? Like kind of a consume, a thing that people could come consume and then go back to the rest of their life. And um I didn't, uh, I mean, I have no idea how to do that, right? So I, I contacted a, a, a pastor friend of mine who I had interned with who had started his own church in Atomas. We were just kind of talking about stuff and he was like, why don't you come? And I was like, well, here's what I would like to do. I'd love to start like a, a community center in like an under-resourced area 
And what we do there, uh, you know, we basically give, I was so naive, right? I was just like, we give services very like, here come the, the, the notion was like orient our spiritual life around something other than like singing songs at me. Uh, and we started working at this church, uh, Deb got pregnant. So we've got a, a t- you know, 20 month old or not yet, you know, uh, she was 11 months old at the time. And, um, we're trying to make this work and like the church is just probably not a healthy place. Like I'm realizing over time and I'm trying to work on this. Uh, we just had really different views of what church was supposed to be. And um, I have, I'm working on trying to work on this uh, community center. Don't really know how to do it, but I'm trying. People are agreeing to like kind of come join us, like move in like people who are, um, uh, like finishing social work degrees were like, we'll just come there and like, we'll join you. We'll do this thing and starting to kind of come together. And then uh, Deb's about eight and a half months pregnant with Emerson. And um, the the pa- senior pastor calls me in for a meeting. We're having like the staff meeting. He's like, I don't think you should do it in this under-resourced area. You should do it here in the Thomas. And I'm like, where all the like suburban white folks are. Uh, I got, I was like, I don't, I like that. They don't need the help. They've got, there's literally like a country club down the street from us. And, and he was like, well, none of those people look like us. And, um, I was like, oh no, that's fine. I'll do that. And then Emerson was born and I asked for, uh, two days off or sorry, two weeks off. He said, of course. And on the Sunday before I was supposed to start back up, he sent me a text asking me to meet them, him and the finance team at the office at like 9 a.m. So I show up and uh, they have a, a termination letter at my place on the seat. And they asked for my key and my, and my credit card and said that, you know, I wanted to go do the community center. So I should just go do that. Which then it triggered like, okay, so now we have zero income and a two week old and a 20 month old and a mortgage, obviously we can't pay. And they're going to make us sell that. They're going to make us like refinance. How do you refinance in 2010 without any income? And, um, and so like we for set for like a hot second, we're like, let's make the, let's make the, uh, the community center work. Like that's, that's what we'll do. We'll make the community center work. But I have no idea how to raise money. I don't know how to raise, I don't know how to do that. Like I had no clue how to do any of that. So, um, we, after a little bit, like kind of thinking through trying to fight out the depression, all that stuff, all kinds of prayers of like, you know, Lord help me figure this out stuff. Um, and like, you know, like there's all these stories within like the, like church lore of like the missionary that's trying to do the thing and they're out of money. And then the next day, like the check shows up, like just for the amount of money that they needed. Right. And I, I checked the mail every day. (laughs) <laughs> there were no checks <laughs> there were no like i've heard of your work and i just felt compelled to send you this you know this amount that just happened to match my mortgage payment like none of that right there was none of that and like you know good friends of ours like i was some uh like debbie's roommate in college i remember that that year they gave us um they gave us 500 so that we could have the kids have a good christmas it's just like nothing and um, so we we, deter- we decided we sold the house. We sold it back to them. Um, barely, get, we didn't really get any of our money out, but at least we were, you know, kind of uh, done with that. And we moved in with my parents in their three bedroom house, um, sixteen hundred square foot three bedroom house with a a two month old and a twenty month twenty two month old. And I could, you know, 
I couldn't get work. It's 2010 for one, but I also had like no skills. Like who's hiring? And uh, about a year, you know, a year after I lost the job, uh, I I got a call back from uh, a edu- new like education organization that uh, I had applied for and been, <laughs> I had applied and not gotten the job. I didn't even get a call back, nothing. But they had an internship program and didn't have enough. Uh, um, so they, I went through the interviews and they're like, I, everything was going fine. And they're like, so you can pick between legislative work, communications work, or um, community organizing. And they're like, oh, and I guess development too. Like we have, we have some development stuff, but usually interns don't pick development. But I mean, that's there too. And I was like, it's unpaid 10-week internship. Like I need skills coming out of this. And so I was like, oh, we knew how to do everything with a community center, we thought. I mean, we didn't, but we felt like we did, except for the funding. So I was like, I'm, I would like to do development uh, so I can have some skills coming out in two years. And at that point, you said your goal was still like, I'm going to be like, let me just get some fundraising skills. I'm going to still continue in yeah. being a pastor. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I, I thought that's what I would want to do. Like, I, I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. And, and uh, I mean, it helped that like, so pastors don't get paid super well, but I wasn't getting paid well as like, you know, as like a low level development person. So there wasn't like necessarily any economic stuff to keep me from not doing it either. And um and so I was like, oh, yeah, like I'll eventually go back there. And it would be great to go back as a pastor with like real world experiences and skills. And but because because what I was learning is like the longer that I was, uh, the longer I was working, not as a pastor, and then going to church on a Sunday or Saturday, <laughs> I was realizing like how uh, the, like how much of a gap there was between what we were doing on Saturday and what I felt like I needed to live my life in a in a spiritually connected way. I would just be like, what are we doing here? Um, I remember thinking like, you know what I need? I don't need another song with a bad guitar. What I would love is for someone to teach me, like, how do I pray? How do I wrestle with the notion of like, I want to do good at my job, but that's conflicting too, because part of why I want to do good at my job is I want recognition. And like, how do I wrestle with that as a, as a, someone who's supposed to be like uh, um, selfless as a, as a spiritual person? That's what I would love. And instead they're like, actually we've got, turn your hymn book to 732 and we're super excited because we're going to do a mashup of the organ and the drum being like really part of the big reason why I didn't end up going back to being a pastor is like, I realized I don't, one, like I don't hold a lot of the stuff that you guys hold is so important right now. Um, and two, like I'm, I've got far more questions than answers. And how do you, how do you stand up and lead a congregation that is there because they want some security and some certainty in their life? Like it's hard enough without their like pastor coming to them saying like, yeah, but is that really true? What about-? Um, if people discover, I think you were telling me the other day that someone learned that you were a former pastor and wanted to kind of connect on that level, like, how do you, how do you, you're chuckling now, but like, how do you approach that? Cause I think, I think I would, knowing what your journey has been through that, I would be like, well, it's not what you think. Like this is, <laughs> this is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was funny. So when I was working at students first, uh, you know, it's a, a political lobbying organization and it was like evenly split between Republicans and Democrats. Cause it was around school reform. It's really cool. I didn't tell everybody like, oh yeah, I was a pastor because I didn't want them to think that I like didn't have the chops to be there. I mean, I didn't have the chops to be there, but like I didn't want them to, I wasn't going to go around announcing it. Right. 
And so sometimes it would be like a year before someone was like, wait a minute, you're a pastor. And then they would start apologizing like, I'm so sorry. I, all the times I cursed in front of you. Oh man. Oh, I, I, I'm like, dude, it's, it's okay. You've heard me. Right. And, and, uh, your, your eminence. So, I'm so, I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> so it, it was, and then, and then, you know, I remember, uh, when I started another job, uh, there was like a bunch of turmoil, uh, there was a transition happening and my boss kind of pulling me aside because she knew that I, she's like, you need to think about this as your flock, as your, you need to pastor this group so that, you know, and it was, you know, it was her way of kind of saying like, please help us like calm down the crazy and not let there be gossip and stuff like that. And, and I, I just, I felt, I just felt so uncomfortable with it because I didn't want people, what I didn't want was that experience at Students First where people didn't feel they could be as open to me, with me because I was in some way going to judge the shit out of them. Go back and, because what you're doing now, you're, you're no longer a pastor. And in fact, you're working um, with, uh, what do the wishes look like? Yeah, so we have, we have, uh, you know, in general, 70% of our wishes are related to travel. Uh, you know, going to, we have great relationship with the Walt Disney Company, uh, Disneyland wishes, Disney World wishes are, are really popular and just great magical experiences for families. And all of those things are off the table for us. Uh, and, but we have a lot of wishes that are wish to have. All I want, what I would like is like to set myself up to be able to make videos. And so that wish turns into like really great video equipment, really great, uh, like, and then we go all out. So it's not just like, here's a computer, you get a computer now, it's all the cameras. And um, last week we, uh, just got done uh and she wanted to um she remembers what it was like to be in the cancer ward and so she set up like a, a series of experiences for kids who will be in cancer wards uh with like celebrity chefs and celebrity like pop-ins and stuff like that and there's this whole and i don't even know like all the details it's just amazing and like that's what a lot of kids in my education stuff coming in we had a, a kid who's who had a, a traumatic brain injury he was the star football player uh, at his school and he just wanted to play football again and I was like well you know another chapter would have been like okay well we're not we can't make you a football player again our chapter worked with a company that uh, built a virtual reality experience for him where he was able to uh, relive his last play of his last season where he threw a game-winning touchdown and they worked together and they put together like literally can't like there's scenes where he's sitting there. He's got the, he'll have the goggles on and he's sitting there. He didn't have a good first half apparently. And players are coming and speaking to the camera as if they're speaking to him saying, we can do better than this. Come on, man. We know you can lead us out there. And then he walked out onto the field. They showed throwing the like game winning touchdown. And then uh, when he came out of the tent where he got to watch it for the first time, the stands were filled with the, the community there to cheer him. Like, right. Oh, incredible. Well, I was, usually I wrap up by saying, uh, what is bringing you joy right now? But you're, <laughs> the, I mean, the nature of your work. So, yeah. so outside of work, what is yeah, outside what of, bringing, what's you joy? bringing me joy? So my girls, Emerson turns 10 uh, Sunday and Eleanor is 11. She'll be 12 in January. And they are becoming tweens, right? Like before our eyes. And it's, so hysterical uh like they have opinions about everything last week my daughter my youngest daughter and her friend wrote a song about donald trump and how like awful he is 
and they just have like these deep opinions about stuff that like I never had an opinion about and just watching them like really just navigate like uh, life you know this pandemic has been has been uh, really upsetting to their routines and their social lives and their way of understanding themselves and how well they handle that is uh, it's just out of control so Hey, get off home for nothing. 